This episode of Weed and Grub is presented by Smoking Paper. Smoking is one of the leading brands in rolling papers. You can find smoking on five continents and in more than 100 countries worldwide. Slim, king size, hemp, there's a smoking paper for every kind of roll. Smoking is committed to quality papers and respect for the environment. Follow at Smoking Paper on Instagram or go to smokingpaper.com. Smoking. Roll with it. This episode is also brought to you by Magical Butter. The Magical Butter Machine is the easiest, most consistent way to make edibles at home. Simply add your herbs and your butter, cooking oil, or grain alcohol, set your time and temperature, and the machine does the rest. Go to MagicalButter.com and use the code WEEDANDGRUB for 20% off at checkout. Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. What up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? Very, 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 very well. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Yeah? Yeah. Welcome to Weed and Grub, everybody. This is a podcast about weed. And grub. And food. And sex. Popular culture. And so much more sex. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, especially today. Yeah, it's National Masturbation Day. Happy come day, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Get it. Do you know why it's National Masturbation Day? Do you really have an answer to that? So I kind of do because I cribbed from Wikipedia when I was posting about it on Instagram and the wiki uh, says that it was named for the Surgeon General under, I think, Bill Clinton who prescribed masturbation as part of like a sex ed curriculum in schools. Good. Sort of like advocating for masturbation as like a healthy release. Yes. And um, I can't remember whoever that was, but there was a Surgeon General like 20 years ago. I think it was in the 90s. And they were like, it's National Masturbation Day. Celebrated once a year on May 20, whatever today is. Today is May 28th. Yeah. So you're allowed to get yourself off once a year and today's the day? Wank it. Yeah. Get Get it it. all out. Get it all out. Mm -hmm. You know, pour it out. I mean, whatever. Spray. Spray all day. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Anyway, happy International or National Masturbation Day, everyone. This goes back to last week when you were like, I like get yourself off before work. Yeah. Start the day off right. Come have a cup of coffee, and then you know you can look any motherfucker in the eye and be like, um, I'm just I'm you can't you can't touch me. Mm -mm. I'm good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it also ties into our news story this week. Oh yeah. Wow, you are on fire today. I mean, listen, I woke up on the right side of the bed today. Congrats. Thanks. What do we got? We So uh, the Grubla Gazette, powered by Word on the Tree, follow up Word on the Tree for everything good in weed news, had a story today about how, um, I'm, I mean, we all know this, like weed is good for your relationship. And when you smoke it, if you're you know in a partnered relationship, like it just makes you a better person, basically. But there's a study to back it up. So headline is how using marijuana could benefit your relationship. And basically, there's a social psychologist at the university of Buffalo named Maria Testa, which I think is just a fucking awesome it's name. It's a really great name. Maria Testa. Good evening. I'm Dr. Maria Testa. Yeah. And Dr. Testa um, basically did a study on 183 married or cohabitating heterosexual couples. And they had to like report when they used weed and then report on their behavior. And it just basically found that it like makes you a kinder, better person, a better partner, that your intimacy is more on point, that you're like, your touch, you know, 
know, is gentler and deeper connection, bigger mm-hmm. laughs. Yeah. Harder, harder feelings. <laughs> All of that, you know, more open mind to, you know, getting a little freaky in the bedroom. Maybe. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Explo- well, I'm sure I do. <laughs> <laughs> Exploring a little deeper, maybe. Um, yeah. But it's, a, you know, an actual study that has come out to prove that, yes, what, you know, basically backing up what we all know, that if you smoke weed, it makes you nicer to the people around you. What a cool doctor. Right? The doctor who is like, this is something I think, but it's time to prove what I know. Let's prove it and, you know, get some clinical research out there for all the clinical data for all the naysayers. There is something about passing a joint and then watching a movie or before going to dinner or all the time. Yeah, or just like when you come home from a hard day at work and instead of like having that cocktail, which might make you more aggro, like... You know, smoke a joint before you sit down to dinner with your family or your or just your partner. And you know. I'm racking my brain if I've ever seen that in a movie because you always see John Hamm walk through the door, haggard and tired. Sure. Pop the top on his scotch, mm-hmm. pour two fingers worth, take a sip, go. <sighs> but yeah. you've never seen like the come in, light a joint, sit down. Yeah. Do a, a bong moment. rip. Yeah. Yeah, have a, yeah, do a fucking bong rip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that like 50s and 60s trope in, in uh, Mad Men about like, you know, meet, meeting the husband coming home with slippers and a drink because that's what he needs after a hard day's work. But, oh, yeah. Honey, here, yeah. help you. You look exhausted. But wouldn't it be so nice if you came home and like your partner was there waiting for you with like a freshly loaded bong? <laughs> right. And handed it to you and was like, hey, how was your day? How are you? How are you? And maybe even like what I really like when I come home from a really hard day, if like there's anyone in my house, which there isn't because I live alone, but at times when I have lived with someone, I don't want to interact with anyone right away when I've come home. You know, I need some real alone time. Yeah. And so like it might be nice if they just have like a bong there for you and then they like greet you, maybe even smoke a little with you and then kind of leave you alone for a minute. Yep. Right? Yeah. That's the move. Yeah. Because you need that beat of space where you have your moment Mm -hmm. in between like interaction again. Yeah. Totally. Oh, I hope anyone listening out there who wants to do maybe something special for their partner has that. Or even set it up in the morning and then come home to it. Oh, yeah. Do it for yourself. Do it for yourself. International Masturbation Day. There we go. Full circle. <laughs> <laughs> International Master or National Masturbation and built and like load your bong day. Yes. Yeah. Set yourself up right. <laughs> nice. I think every day should be National Masturbation Day. Just yeah. just saying. Wow. We are cooking on all the <laughs> gas in the world. Yeah. We were going to do a little new segment where we shout out a product that is pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't have a name for this segment yet. Shout outs? Um, go on. <laughs> Hold on. What? SOs? I don't know. Bada bing, bada bong? Maybe we should. Oh, there you go. Hey. Hey, I like it. Bada bing. All right. Bada bong. What's your bada bing, bada bong today, Mike? Today I want to shout out Goldleaf because they sent me a cooking journal, which is amazing. It's a a cannabis culinary companion and when you open it up the contents has everything from infusion options how to infuse terp pairing it goes through everything cool to cook and then you have your recipe research area where you can write like the type of thing that you use butter oil sauce the ingredients you used was it with flour root trim the process the temps the methods and you can really perfect your own recipes 
and cook for people you love, including yourself, who I hope you love as well. That's amazing. I really like all of their journals. They actually have a whole series. They have tasting notes for folks who are just like weed connoisseurs who want to sort of like keep a list of, you know, strains that you find that you want to, you know, find again and terpene profiles. They have one for growers. So they make a whole line of different journals. And they also have recipe cards. They paired with some amazing chefs to dream up some amazing recipes. So yeah, I think these guys are great. And I love the way they look. They're so low key. And like you got to write in there with a pen. Yeah, make it count. Mm-hmm. I really like them. So if you want to check out, are you going to sneeze? I did sneeze, but I stifled it because I didn't want to sneeze into the microphone to make it all wet. Listen to your voice. Weird. Whoa. Oh, your soul needed to get some dust off it I and you pushed it back down. I pushed it back in and now my nose feels like it's on fire and my eyes are watering. Don't ever hold in a sneeze, people. Absolutely not. Don't do it. Like my boobs kind of expanded for a second. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it felt like when I held it in, like my my chest inflated for a second it was like a cartoon character (laughs) (laughs) oh my god well if you want to get anything from gold leaf you can go to shopgoldleaf.com or check out their instagram and check out their instagram why is it either or and check out their instagram at goldleaf no o g-l-d-l-e-a-f goldleaf no o and uh thank you so much and i really hope you sneeze before we go to our interview because it looks like you need it i need to go and look at like a bright light and just force it Force it. You don't have any bright lights in here. I don't. Damn it. I have one light yeah. over there. Do you I, want me to shine it at you? Can you just like bring that lamp over here so I can <laughs> stare at it? What if you were being interrogated by the police? You know how they, old, in the old timey ones, and, and I they just would sneeze. always. <laughs> <laughs> I sneeze, like I have like a hair trigger for a sneeze. I sneeze when I um, tweeze my eyebrows. If I ever like have to pluck an eyebrow hair, uh-huh. that makes me sneeze. Oh, yeah. I have allergies, so I'm super sneezy with that. Yeah, a little sneeze-a-thon over here. That's really funny. Walking around. You really need it, too. I can, yeah. Your eyes look uncomfortable right now. Yeah, one of them. I kind of got halibut eyes with this situation going on. They're, like, detaching and moving around my body. <laughs> it's so bad when... It was, like, thank you for holding your sneeze while I was talking about gold leaf. Uh-huh. However... It, like it, oh I fucked man. myself. Now, <laughs> I'm, now I feel crazy. I can't talk. I don't know what's happening. My eyes are all wandery. <laughs> My boobs got bigger. <laughs> this one easy step to a bigger boob. <laughs> Just hold in sneezes all day long. <laughs> Want to amplify your bust, ladies? <laughs> you know, like get some, get yourself some. Uh, I don't know what. Well, what makes you sneeze? Sneeze powder? Uh, if I see if I have a nose hair that's creeping out around the corner, ooh, then I pull it out and that makes me sneeze. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking painful though. I like it Ooh, a little bit. You like that pain? Yeah, I kind of like the pain of um, like plucking something off, Ow, ripping yeah. something out. Ooh, it's like pulling on a hangnail. Love it. Hurts so good, right? Oh, yeah, it does hurt so fucking good because mm. it's like there's a smooth glide to it, equal to a painful feeling. Yeah, it's nice. You like stubbing your toe too? Uh, boy, you know what? Don't mind it. <laughs> if I hit my funny bone, I'm like, I'm alive. You're such a masochist. <laughs> What's a masochist? Uh, you, you're an inflicting pain on yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah of course I am. Yeah, sadist, you inflict pain on others, and a masochist, you inflict pain on yourself. So you can be a sadomasochist. You can you know, be any combination. Oh, I'm more masochistic than I am sadoistic. Yeah, I don't think you're sadistic at all. You seem to be pretty into you know hurting yourself. Though. <laughs> <laughs> like, were you talking about the bread on your mouth? Like you were, oh. well, but you're not into that. No, well, but that's because I'm trying to enjoy a nice sandwich. And okay, well, let's talk about yeah, this. Yeah, let's talk about hearty, hearty bread. Or I just think that God, this is a lot of sandwich in May. It's the sandwich month. Yeah. Everything's a sandwich, right? <laughs> Including May. <laughs> <laughs> you know, arguably between yeah. April and June. Sure. Yeah. Oh, nice. 
<laughs> so nice. Mayo. All right. So Listen. the I think that if I I really believe that a lot of sandwich places would go above and beyond if they would just toast the inside of the bread and not the outside. Right. And I feel like I'm saying things that people must already do. I just don't know about it because if you toast the inside of the bread, you get that nice crunch. But if you toast the outside, it scrapes on your gums and the roof of your mouth and it's harder to bite. And I like, I want the softness to be in my teeth, but the crunchness to be in my mouth. So you're saying like to invent like a one-sided toaster or they're just having to do all of their toasting under the broiler? Because as far as I know, toasters, you know, yeah, always going to toast both sides. Yeah, under the broiler or on the flat top, like you would a hamburger bun. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. But, okay. but I don't know if there's a one-sided toaster for at home when people aren't no, I don't using think that's flat a thing. tops. Did you just come up with a new thing? A one-sided toaster? You want to patent that? No, nobody wants that. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It should just be an option for you when you go to your sandwich joint that you can ask for it. I think it's got to be But know, I want a them to present the option so that I don't come around like I'm some try-hard, needy fuckface. You know, when I was working in the restaurant world, like you would occasionally get that person who would just ask you for something that was just like so... I mean, I can't even think of what the most outlandish thing was, but there was like... I have one from Twitter the other day. Oh, what? There was this really great tweet that said, my friend works at a high-end New York restaurant. This is an actual uh, dupe from the from somebody ordering. And it said, medium rare burger, uh, no spice, no oil, no tomatoes, no bread, no pickles, no salt, no pepper, just meat, cooked to medium rare, nothing else. This is for a dog. I was going to say the pup patty. Yeah. Wow. Right? But like high in New York, like, you know, $25 burger. Yeah. So it's like Wagyu mixed with pork shoulder. Wow. Medium rare perfection. That is bringing on a sneeze for me. (laughs) (laughs) In a good way or a bad way? I may be in a bad way. That's pretty fucking obnoxious. If you have enough money to be shopping at like, you know, getting your burger from like Cafe Luxembourg for your dog. I want to say the sentence, you didn't finish your caviar. Oh. And shame my dog. Yes. Yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. Well, you think you're life. too good for this? Bobo would finish the caviar. You think so? Bobo's like a fucking... Bobo like, finishes his own asshole every night. So of course he's going to eat caviar. Eats his own asshole. Keeps me up sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wake up to it. He's just like munching you, his butt. You've been woken up by your cat eating its asshole? Yeah. He's <laughs> fucking loud. He's like... <laughs> he gets in there and he like motorboats his own little hairy little place where his nuts used to be (laughs) it wakes you up like the ghost of christmas past jangling its chains yeah he's like (laughs) chewing on his b-hole it's pretty intense he really gets in there he does a good job it's great oh that's incredible Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah of my two animals the cat is louder than the dog because of butthole munching (laughs) (laughs) hey you know what today's the day to do it if you're gonna do it you know that cat yoga move where they like do the full hunch and then one leg goes like kind of up behind their head yes and they like touch their face to their you know they're like cleaning their little behinds yeah yeah yeah. it's such a good move Uh, yeah it's like they their tongue is a bidet yeah it just cracks me up so much like there's you don't see a dog ever cleaning itself like that like where it does no it uses the rug Oh, the scoot? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Which also feels great. Oh, yeah? You like that move? <laughs> yeah. You do that on your rug? I've done it before, sure. I gotta go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this you, rug here? This rug here. <laughs> oh, my scootchin' rug? Yeah, great. Uh, you don't want to do walk it on, on that. on my rug when I'm not home? What? Or when you're over? What? When I'm not looking? Why is my voice alive? <laughs> okay. 
Do you want to do buds of the week? Yes. Let's do buds of the week. Would you like to go first bud, second bud? Um, I'll go first bud. Nice bud. Um, we have a friend on Twitter named Alice, and her handle is go one ask one Alice, like the number one. And I don't know. She's just really fun, and she writes to us about all sorts of stuff. She wrote to us a while back about how Boehner could be seen as a positive because he might help get some of her conservative family on board in Texas. She's a native Texan, and she's just really cool and interactive, and she's written a bunch of um, stuff about like her grandparents being you know into edibles and all this kind of stuff and just last week or the week before I said something about like I don't I wonder where all the um, tax money in Colorado goes from legal weed and so I guess I wondered aloud like well I wonder what happens to it and so Alice just sent a link uh, to an article <laughs> that's titled where does all the marijuana money go Colorado's pot taxes explained and it's perfect yeah it's great and it really does explain all of it it's um, a Colorado public radio news story that's on CPR.org. And it's pretty interesting. I gave it a read. And it's like a lot of schools, um, public school funds and that kind of stuff. And it's, Anything for homeless or anything like that? Yeah, there's a day center, actually, that was opened in Aurora, Colorado, that gives uh, the homeless uh, somewhere to go during the day that's using state um, weed money, which is, you know, just really amazing. So it sounds like there's a lot of good being done with all of the Colorado pot tax money. But it's still only 1% of the state budget, which was surprising to me. Really? Yeah. Man, so, that's so much money. Yeah. There's a lot of people that have needs. I'm yeah. really happy that it some of it is going to where I think it should go. Yeah, it's going to education for the most part. And um, yeah, thank you, Alice, for sending that story and just, you know, like always, yeah, writing and being cool. Being cool as fuck. Being hella cool. My Bud of the Week are Buds of the Week. Oh. I'm flipping it on you. My Buds of the Week are Eddie, Sammy, Ryan, Avery, Jeff, all the whole team that did Historical Roast for Netflix fucking friends of mine people who have been following their hearts and dreams have a netflix show and it just came out and it's called historical roast and i just ask everyone to watch it because it's so fucking cool that they created it and it's so fucking cool that it's on netflix what so like a roast like of people from history yeah historical, how it works? yes 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 so okay. it is like martin luther king getting roasted abraham lincoln getting roasted cleopatra getting roasted and frank getting roasted Whoa. muhammad ali getting roasted it's incredible. It sounds and like it would have to be very smart and funny. That okay, so okay, so dig this. So it is like a deep dive into an education about each of these historical figures, mm. but they'll do this deep dive with all of these facts, but in there they're just writing these beautiful, perfect roast jokes that are just tasty gems of dirty, dirty comedy. Wow. I love it I so much. I can't wait to watch it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're going to learn something. You're going to laugh about something. You're going to have a great time. Okay. Historical roast on Netflix. Yeah. And congratulations. Y'all had a fucking big poster in Times Square. Like, Netflix believes in this show enough to put up some ads in Times Square. Wow. And these are, I mean, friends of yours. Like, people you actually know and have, like, on your show and stuff. So, Eddie produces Glazed. Uh, Avery was one of the first people I ever met here. He was the musical director for it. Canadian, shout out. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of Glazed, if you live in LA and you're listening to this on Thursday the 30th, I'm doing Glazed again at the Hollywood Improv. Eddie is producing it. And we have a, some really cool historical roast things planned. Ooh. Then if you go on my social media on Friday, I've got some things that'll have happened at Glazed that have to do with historical roast and Netflix that are going to be all over my social media on Friday. So check out my social media, check out historical roast, give some shine to my buddies and um, yeah, hopefully season two coming around the bend. Wow. Yeah, right? I like a secret too. I need to, Ooh, I'm so excited to come on Thursday and see what it is. <laughs> awesome. I'm really excited. Yeah. Yeah. So with those buds of the week, do you want to get into our 
a VIB? Yes, our very important oh, bud. It's a VIBB. A very important bud named Brad Bogus. Oh, VIBBB. BBB. Brad Bogus, yes, who's the VP of Marketing and Growth at Confident Cannabis. And we were going to talk to him about like being an entrepreneur in the cannabis space, and we ended up talking to him about everything else. Yeah, being a punk rocker. Being, uh, you know, like uh, holding yourself accountable yeah. was a huge part of it. How cool was that? Giving back, making sure you're doing things for reasons that resonate with your heart. Figuring out your why. Your why. That was such a big one. Instead of the what. And just like laughing a lot. Like we smoked a joint on a rooftop, and then we came down and just like had a freewheeling super fun discussion. If you're interested in Confident Cannabis, that is, um, it's a software basically that empowers verticals in the cannabis supply chain to sort of communicate with each other about what the product is. And it's at confidentcannabis.com. But Brad himself like had everything to say about everything else under the sun. He was the general manager for the Cannabis, which is the Denver Post's um, weed newspaper, basically. They're like one of the first publications that exclusively covered cannabis under the umbrella of like a mainstream newspaper. He's like a hardcore punk rock music nerd. Just super fucking interesting. And honest. And honest as hell. Mm. Yeah. So it's great. Oh, and he brought that ape cheese, which was so delicious. Yeah. Oregon weed. New strain. Never had it. No. Very yummy. Thank you, Brad. Without further ado, this is our interview, chat, and conversation with Brad Bogus. We're here with Brad Bogus from Confident Cannabis. Confident Cannabis. Yeah. Yes. Sits upright. Has good posture. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, used to play uh, wind instruments like in fifth and sixth and uh, I guess all the way through eighth grade. Uh, so they always teach you to like sit on the edge of the chair and like that forces you to, you know, keep your back straight. Oh. Uh, which I don't do great but now at almost 40. I tend to slump a bit, but I try to keep the posture going. What was it? An oboe? <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh so much. No, <laughs> I started on trumpet and then I was like, nah, that's not really for me. And then switched to tenor sax. And then I was like pretty decent at the tenor sax for like three or four years. And then ninth grade comes and they're like, oh, you have to do marching band. And I found out I had to give up like the whole last month of my summer in Texas to go march around in a field wearing <laughs> stupid freaking peacock feathers on my head. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not. I'm not into that anymore. I'm going to play guitar no. now. <laughs> And then that that started your affinity for punk rock music? Uh, Yeah, that was pretty much right when the curve started. And I was like, I'm done with all that. I'm going to go hang out in the subculture for a while. (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole 180, man. You go from like marching in step with, you know, clean whites, right, to punk rock where like if you don't get stitches you didn't go hard enough that's right yeah, yeah. you didn't do it right yeah. yeah um you know it's funny as i i knew a lot of uh, punk rockers that came out of marching band um for whatever reason i actually don't know if there's a correlation wait there. do you fuck but, with ska uh i i got into it. it it so it was like i had to work my way into ska because i was like too punk rock at the yeah, start yeah. you know where it was like only a very small amount of punk rock can apply and fuck ska and fuck everything else um, but eventually I realized I was a douchebag and I kind of like relaxed on that. And, <laughs> um, and, and what's funny is, so my, my, my dad is, uh, pretty old. Um, he, he always loved swing dance music and, um, I sort of got into swing dance when it made its revival in the nineties, uh, oddly. Cause I kind of saw it as like the punk rock of the forties in this weird way, probably cause I watched swing kids and I thought it was like the F you to the Nazis and like that really worked. But, <laughs> uh, but I got into swing and so like inevitably I sort of had had to make room for ska 
because there was also a crossover there. Totally. Uh, and um and and then eventually started getting into ska. But it took like the most punk rock ska bands, and then like eventually I made my way to Less Than Jake, and then like yeah. over to the suspect or to the specials. And sure. you know, my next door neighbor is in Stiff Little Fingers. Oh no shit! Uh-huh. I haven't met him yet. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I had dinner with a guy who was from Five Iron Frenzy. If Yo. you remember them, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> uh, he's a, a friend of a dear friend of mine in Denver, um, and I got to eat dinner with him. Cool guy. Uh, wow. Yeah. I also met uh, the uh, uh, trumpet player from Against All Authority. I don't know if you know them. I don't. Uh, super punk rock anarchist ska band. But uh, he was he, he was my Lyft driver in New Orleans when I was down there for a cannabis conference. And um, I saw his Against All Authority tattoo and called it out. And he was like, dude, you know Against All Authority? And I was like, fuck yeah, man. That was like one of my favorite ska bands of all time. Actually, arguably one of the bands that got me into ska because it was like this perfect little step out of punk rock. Yeah. And it was really anarchist. And it was just like, you know, raw and angry. Um, anyway, he used to be the trumpet player. In the, I like, do, because I feel like Sky, for me, once I finally found it, because I only found it once it was on the radio and shit like mm-hmm. that, it was uh, it, it, it had like bubbles coming out of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It was kind of like shiny and bright. It right. wasn't that like angriness that I, I loved the most. It brings a lot of energy, you know, and yeah. there's definitely a lot of it's joy that- in it. It's the like you have to go yeah, up right? with it. You physically <laughs> that, have that to upbeat. go up. Yeah, it's like awesome. Indeed. Man, what was Denver like? Uh, Denver, uh, the first place I've ever felt like home, you know, like I grew up in Texas, but it never really felt like home to me. I had to get out generally speaking as quickly as I could. Uh, although I hung out in Austin a bit longer, but Denver to me was just, it was beautiful. There's, uh, amazing parks. It's a very walkable city. Um, there's access to the mountains, like, and there's infinite types of landscapes you can go kind of explore within two to three hours. Even it's like super easy to do. Um, Were you there before you fucked with cannabis for the first time? I actually, well, no, I got into the cannabis industry by being recruited to Denver to work oh, with uh, the Denver Post. And run, Post? you ran the cannabis. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The cannabis is owned by the Denver Post. It was like a startup within the big corporation. How did which that made it interesting. recruiting happen? Um, you know, it, it all comes down to when you know somebody. Um, I had operated as a, um, um, uh, an entrepreneur in Austin for like um, marketing and, and content and um, for like 11 years. And, and during that time, I'd worked with a guy who was at the Austin American Statesman, which was a, a Comcast-owned newspaper in Austin. And um, I helped train his team on social media and how, like how to sell for social media and understand like how they can actually help businesses with it because they were always in front of small businesses. And um, and then he got recruited to the Denver Post. He became the senior vice president of digital there. And um, I kind of hit a point where I was like, eh, I'm kind of done being a fucking entrepreneur. I'm bored. I've accomplished what I want to accomplish. I want to try something new. And I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A mentor of mine helped me figure out that, you know, I should just pick one industry I loved. And I was really into cannabis as a consumer. I was super educated on it. And I was like, you know, now's the time if I want to get involved in something really cool and kind of burgeoning. Um, like, there's not really a whole lot of times in any generation where just, like, an industry starts from scratch. You know, like, not based on the backs of other industries. Like, literally a nascent industry beginning from the, from the ground up. Seemed like a good opportunity to do something real. So anyway, I started looking for opportunities, found the one at the Cannabis, saw that the senior vice president of digital was the dude I knew, gave him a call, was like, hey, I'm interested in this. Do you think it would be good? And he's like, please apply. We'd love to have you. We've had a real hard time finding a good fit. 
anyway, it happened pretty quickly after that point. So, what did your job at the cannabis entail? I mean, apart from obviously smoking all of Denver's great weed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's funny as I had to pass a drug test for that fucking job. No way. So, wait, like your THC isn't high enough? Sorry, yeah, right? Like, no, yeah. I wish I, uh, that would have been an interesting challenge. We no. used to say at high times that you had to fail a drug test to work there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. I had to pass a drug test to work at a drug newspaper in a weird way. Uh, yeah, it was that was nuts. Were but, they actually testing for THC? Yeah. Literally, I had to be clean to get that job because of the Denver Post and oh, like sure. all of these. Because like, it's a union paper. It's a and big corporate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wow. Anyway, my job was like, uh, generally speaking, a glorified sales director job. Like you're just trying to get advertising revenue generated for the for the publication. But I was like a very non-traditional hire for them because I came out of content and uh, and media and I understood um, social media and marketing and um, and I was really much more into building a brand and had a lot of that experience so um, I, I'm a storyteller at heart they, they don't usually hire storytellers for sales directors at publications but they read and I knew each other pretty well he knew what I had done in, in Austin and so even though it was untraditional, he was like, I, I really think this would be like a great fit. Fuck yeah, the only way I'm gonna listen is if it's a story. Right. And a good story. Yeah, and like, who gives a fuck about banner ads, right? Like, you're just trying to oh. put your brand in front of someone's face, like, hey, I'm gonna slap you a million times until you finally acquiesce. Like, that sucks. Yeah. You know, maybe we can tell a good story while we're trying to spend money on shit like that, right? So, yeah. uh, I tried to really change the way that the publication uh, generated revenue, uh, changed our event strategy to be a little bit more, um, you know, provide more value and bring that brand, you know, to the forefront. So I was much more of a marketing uh, role. I, I mean, actually, really, the way that I ran that position was sort of like a CEO, like a publisher of an entire startup, right? Like I, I managed the revenue on the sales side, I managed the sales team, but I also managed the marketing and the brand. Uh -huh. uh, we helped to rebrand the company while I was there, uh, even Yo, though that. Look, can we get into that rebranding? Yeah. Wait, yeah. first I want to know: Did you have a weed budget? Uh, no, I didn't. Not so at unfair. all. But so I was able to throw an event, um, you know, not like I was the first to do this, but I was able to throw an event where we did have a weed bus on the Denver Post uh, uh, premises where people could go outside and smoke on the bus, which is pretty significant because the Denver Post used to be anti-cannabis. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it had this nice little like irony to it. But uh, that had been done the year before. I just went ahead and did it again because I was like, that's the right thing to do. That's great. <laughs> it's important. Right. Yeah, it is. Exactly. It really is. You got to normalize it. You know what I mean? Yeah, What's yeah, your Dream weed budget. My dream weed budget. Yeah. Well, like, I've had a weed budget. Oh shit. Yeah. I I was allocated five hundred bucks a month. Oh my god. To spend on cannabis. That is a, amazing. <laughs> it's pretty fantastic to be able to like go to a dispensary and buy it and get a receipt and then turn the receipt in and get reimbursed for your weed is uh, pretty special. I I, I kind of worship that. <laughs> yeah, right. Man, this is dope because. Talking to somebody who came out of the arts and just like w loving music, like following their heart and then finding their way to the cannabis and then finding their way, even though you say you're done being an entrepreneur, in a way you just leaned in, doubled up on yeah. being an entrepreneur in one area. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And so I was, what I want to know is like with all of that, how, how are you looking at like big picture shit? Because you're in charge of big picture shit. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> Uh, sometimes I look at it with crushing anxiety, um, <laughs> but yeah. you know, I mean, um, it, look, it, it, it's hard to, to say with any authenticity that like, I know what I'm doing one minute to the next. A lot of times I'm just sort of following, uh, you know, uh, a channel of water, right? I'm just like floating on it like a, like a tube 
and um, and and this is like different stimuli, stimuli that you get and information that you get in a moment that helps craft what you do moment to moment, right? Is it's really hard for anyone to say here's what we're gonna do for the next three to five years with like any actual accuracy. Like a lot of people go through that uh, exercise, but you know, unless you're talking like really you know, uh, ideal, creative, you know, trying to imagine where you could go in three to five years or you're in a place that's super stable. Like it just, it's an exercise in futility. In my opinion, you're going to change it moment to moment. Some shit's going to happen. Something's going to set on fire. (laughs) Someone's going to bring 20 million to your door. Like whatever the thing might be, like variables are going to occur and all of that just kind of falls off the, uh, off the road. So, you know, I, I do try to take things a little bit more minute to minute. Um, although uh, now we're at a point when the company is like funded and we're trying to like increase our uh, our spread across the nation and, and open up a new market. So we have to think a little bit more ahead about like how that strategy forms. So, you know, I'd say that I take like a three to six month view and that's Word. about as far out as I really want to get, you yeah. know, especially in the cannabis industry. The shit changes so often. We don't even know if we're going to be able to open up in California anytime soon just because the regulatory environment of California is extremely rocky and almost no licensees are like using the metric system, which is the seed to sale tracking software that's required to remain compliant. So it's like a library not using Dewey Decimal. Like, right. What are you doing? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But like, except that you might get shut down as a library if you don't. And they're not doing it because there's no oversight, right? Well, I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, the, the amount of resources that the um, BCC would, would, would need to be able to fully implement California as quickly as they wanted to is beyond them. I mean, California is a country. Uh, arguably three countries, right? If we compare it to Europe. So, I mean, there's so much to do and there's so many different environments and the communities of each of those cannabis markets are different. You know, like NorCal is completely different from Southern California, like LA versus San Francisco versus Humboldt. Um, you know, the whole environment is is completely different. And, and the idea that they could just roll out regulations and make that happen in a very quick fashion without as much buy-in as possible from those businesses is just kind of nuts. So you just really can't predict this stuff. You know, you don't know what's going to happen in the next three to six months when it comes to California. They might get their shit together. They might not. So can you, you were going to ask about rebranding. Sorry. Yeah, we can get there. Yeah. I wanted, well, I just wanted to know about like the the shift, like how did you make the leap from where you were with the cannabis to where you are now? Uh, Yeah. Well, it was uh, not easy really. I mean, uh, luckily, I guess because I had had experience as an entrepreneur, I was able, so uh, the the reason I left the cannabis was because uh, the major corporate entity that owned the Denver Post that owned the cannabis, like decided to cross a few things off of a ledger sheet and thus ended the cannabis in terms of like its support for like salaried employees to be running it, which meant cutting me and all the salespeople and, you know, pretty much every role on editorial uh, over the course of the next month. So, um, so I got laid off in this like sort of just grinding of the corporate gears and that was only nine months later. And so for like the next six months or so, I was just consulting with businesses that I had already met during that time and trying to find projects here and there, just, you know, meeting with literally everybody in my Rolodex. And more or less be saying like, yo, I got laid off. I'm trying to find my next spot. You know, I want to work with a good company. Here's what I do. Do you know of any opportunities? If you don't, do you know of any contracts I might be able to help you with? So just kind of hawking my services, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just uh, uh, scratching along. And it took about six months before uh, I was able to make it over to, to Confident Cannabis. And luckily, by that time, I had had a few different companies I was interviewing with at once. But 
you know, it's hard. Like there's just not a whole lot of opportunities yet in the space and particularly not where I was trying to find my next space, which was like, you know, at a kind of like an executive marketing level to a certain extent. Um, those, those, uh, those positions are few and far between because what companies exist sort of build themselves from the ground up and they yeah. already have those people in place, right? They're like sort of the founding team. Um, so yeah, it was just, it took a while, you know, it wasn't Whoa. easy. Hey, Mary Jane. Yeah. I see what you were doing now because we, you wanted to talk about rebranding yourself, not uh-huh. just a company, but you, that's what you meant, right? Yeah. yeah successful cool. rebranding. And I think there are people say, hang on one second. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Kick the door open. Hey guys, we're recording a podcast. Thank you. And that's how you handle that. This is staying in. business. Fuck yeah. Punk rock for life, Mary Jane. <laughs> Handling it. You don't get what you don't ask for. Another <laughs> old adage from well, Mel Bogus. they're like horrified, right. poor things. They're probably having a perfectly lovely day. And then there's like some weirdo in the window. Right. Man. Okay. Uh, well, yo, shout out Mel Bogus, yeah. though. There so you go, right? Out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what are we rebranding uh, Mary Jane for? Ooh. Well, I mean, these are big questions. I don't know. I like. I, well, I think you and I have uh, similar uh, arcs to our our lives because I trained as an actor uh-huh. and worked in theater for a really long time, and then I took a job writing about weed for High Times in like 2007. I started freelancing, and then I was living in New York and in 2014 they offered me a full-time editorial position and I needed to stabilize at that time I was like I need a full-time job I'd Mm -hmm. love to have something where I just have a fixed income and I took it and then I moved here with that job and so I'm in LA writing about cannabis and making this awesome podcast that I love so much but I'm not acting and I want to be acting so much and so it's just that sort of like trying to figure out what the um, new what my new life looks like because I'm still relatively new here the new you mm-hmm. what so, is the new you what is well, the new me you know whenever I go through branding sessions I generally like it, it's a whole lot of questions and it's more like a psychotherapy session you know what I mean it's a yeah so like do you know yet what you want out of your life here like well I think that's the thing like I'm still really figuring it out because when I left New York I came to LA like it was a very sudden move with a lot like w- there was just a lot of personal stuff going on in my life at the yep. time so I didn't move here with a plan it wasn't right. sort of like a strategic LA I'm gonna go and I'm gonna kill it in whatever industry move it was like a I'm g- I gotta get out of New York yeah, kind of yeah. thing and so now that I'm here and settled and settling like I just moved into like I think my perfect space yep. and I'm sort of like finally able to look at what's going on in my life I I think it's 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 all creative. I mean, I'm like yeah. it's really about performing and writing. Right. And I love writing about weed and I love, you know, being in the cannabis industry, but you yeah. know, you know what I mean? Totally. I yeah. Know you have I the mean, same like it, it sounds like you're a writer. Mm-hmm. Right? Like on a very basic level like that would be the headline, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Um but the, these are the things that, that you need as the meat for how you brand yourself, right? Because what yeah. you just said are like the four or five things that matter the most about what the personality of who you are in LA is, right? Right, um, yeah. It's very much the same. I mean, this was how we had to do it at the Cannabis because um, the the previous brand was literally just like a picked font by someone on the team who was just like, that looks cool. And they went with it. And the C had this little particular cursive curly Q that looked exactly like the Cookies logo. And uh, Cookies had oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. launched their logo, I think like a month before the Cannabis started. So it was just like this weird, like, oh, well, we're gonna lose that war. Um, so we went through a whole process of this. And it took a lot of trying to like discover who we were, like, mm-hmm. and it was a lot of these types of questions. And um, and the uh, um, High Life Creative out of Denver helped us kind of like sort this out. And we went through sort 
of a therapy session. And at a certain point, uh, are you West Wing fans, by the way? Yo, <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a, a, a very specific West Wing reference. All right, I'll uh, try and grab it. The episode that takes place in the Middle East where Donna West is on the uh, she caravan gets that gets explodes. bombed, right? Yeah. The, that journalist that she meets, the English journalist who is sort of blunt and crass and like, um, but, you know, really like authentic yes. uh, that he that she meets at the bar. I kind of felt like the cannabis was that guy, right? Like that type of journalism, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, we're going to, we're going to cut right to the meat of what w- there is to say, like the good, the bad, the ugly, there doesn't need to be any sort of, you know, flourish on it. It, it is just like the raw news, but the way we delivered it, um, which was different from the legacy paper that we were born from was through technology. And so we use different iconography that come uh, specifically from computer keyboards to craft a cannabis logo that was like a weed leaf that looked like an asterisk, which you can see on the on the website now. The rollout of the brand was not done by the standards we put together, but you know that's me being uh, a little petty. Anyway, <laughs> I would, so others would say good at your job. Yeah, and uh, somebody who cares. Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, uh, and, and so, like you know, it was about really harnessing like those those ideas within the brand. And then when we launched it, we were able to tell this whole story, and we were able to say, "Here's who we are. Uh, here's who reads us. Here's what they what they read us for." Right. So it, it's a process of knowing not just who you are, but also what you want people to know about you, mm-hmm. and uh, and what you want them to see. Because like while I do a whole bunch of shit, I don't just always project all the things that I do, right? Like right, and that's such an interesting thing to to know. Like you, it, it's it's not great to be a hybrid of things a lot of the time. People mm-hmm. want to be able to sort of like hang a hang a hat on you, yes, and say like, oh, she's the weed writer, or totally. he's the, he's the you know actor or comedian. It's this weird human need to categorize each other, yeah. right? Hey, do you have a thing in your drawer that has the spoons in one section, the forks in another, and the knives yes. in another? And yes, it's like in a drawer. Or you have a drawer. Yeah, yes, you have to exactly. like keep it all yes. separate. Uh-huh. Yes. Even though you just could look down and grab a fucking spoon. Right. Yeah. yeah. It could just be chaos in there, but like we need it organized. Yeah. <laughs> well, nobody likes a spork. Very good right? point. Yeah. No. How crazy is it that we have like 40 different types of glassware for specific types of drinks? What yeah. the fuck is that about? Right? Yeah. Like there's mimosa glasses and champagne glasses and those are t- somehow different. And there's like Pilsner glasses and IPA glasses and, you know, like uh, Belgian <laughs> beer glasses. And like, there's like, I don't know, for beer alone, like fucking 12 different types of glassware. Yeah. Just yesterday I drank water out of a champagne glass and it felt like different and yeah. weird and the water tasted better. <laughs> <laughs> a little classier. <laughs> yeah, it was just what I grabbed when I reached into my cabinet and I drank water out of it and I was like, I'm so fancy. And I was like, home by myself. My dog and my cat were like, Okay. <laughs> Alternatively, if you've ever had wine out of a can, it fucking blows. It's disgusting. <laughs> or like drinking wine out of plastic. Right. It's just no good. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> so I don't. I don't know why we need to categorize this shit and like make all these different types of distinguishment. But that it, it like it makes people comfortable. It helps them to understand. Yep. And it helps them to remember and move forward with something sort of understanding. So. And you have to have the why, right? Like I think yes. that's my friend uh, Heather does a lot of like personal brand stuff, and she was creative like, creative you know, mavens. Yeah, creative mavens. Heather knew. Human. And she, uh, we did a workshop one day and she was like, you know, figure out your why, figure out your story, yep. you know, whiteboard it up on the wall. And it was actually really fun and cool to go through. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. Why is, is, is like, uh, a thousand times more important than what a lot of people mostly focus on what, right? What do I do? It's practical. Right. It's easy. It's right. Easy. Like that's, that's the part that's like, it's logical. I do these things. So that's what I do. But like, 
why do you do them? Because like a lot of people do them, so what makes you special, mm-hmm. right? Um, the that's the why, and the why is the story. Like if you don't have that why, you don't have a story, so it's not interesting. Like nobody goes up and says, "Hey, let me tell you the story of you know Jesus Christ. He was a carpenter. He walked around. He talked to people. Um, <laughs> he shared some stories with people. Uh, he made some bread. He made some wine. He made some fish." Right? Like, what? (laughs) You know, man. Cool. Nice (laughs) resume, Jesus. Right? But, like, you know, the why he did all this shit is what makes his story so legacy, I guess. I don't know why I picked him either, because I'm, like, atheist and Jewish, and, like, the whole thing doesn't fit. But whatever. You get it. (laughs) I like it. I'm into it. What is it? Do you mind if I ask what your why is? Yeah. Um... My why for cannabis in particular is uh, the social justice element of, of, of being able to show the world that there's a better model for how we operate. And I felt like if ever there was a place to do that, it would have to be in an industry that was starting from scratch. Because if you look at the tech industry, trying to get them to understand diversity and sexual harassment is so infinitely hard. And to be able to start from scratch and build those values into uh, an industry uh, from the start was so much of an easier process. And uh, cannabis just happened to be this really great intersection of being both a new burgeoning industry and also one where most of the people care about these things. So you're not working with oil and and gas tycoons and you're not working with, you know, shrewd uh, um, uh, computer manufacturers like fucking Michael Dell. Right. Like those guys don't care about the the social impact of what they're building. You know, uh, I mean, look at Apple products. I, I use Apple products. I see you've got an Apple product. So like shame to all of us, I guess. But like fucking Foxconn. Right. Like, yeah, the the those types of companies to try to get them to do actual real good with their business model is a very difficult prospect and it is, it's not impossible people are fighting that front great but like where could i find something that was fucking awesome <laughs> that i actually piqued my interest that i knew a lot about where i could actually be more my authentic punk rock self and also find a way to express art um and, and make the world a better place in an industry where all that existed all at once was like a hard recipe to find but like it existed there in the cannabis space right so uh i i mean at least here in cannabis that's my why um you know I, this is the first time i've heard on this podcast or anywhere anyone talk about their one their desire to build the moral machine of mm. a space and that's kind of what i'm hearing is exciting to you it really is. Yeah. Um, it, I didn't get to do a ton of this at the cannabis, unfortunately, because I was working within the confines of a giant corporate and dying beast run by vulture capitalists. Right. So you have to find the right place to be able to to like fit the values that you're trying to, to use if you're if you're going to work within another organization. Um, but when I was in Austin, I, I worked a lot with um, social entrepreneurs to kind of like help promote um, companies thinking about how they can impact the world. Um, we, uh, uh, there was an organization I was a part of called Austin plus social good. And what we do is basically mentor and incubate and then help like seed fund through uh, a pitch contest, um, a number of different entrepreneurs in the Austin space who were trying to make startups to do social good. Cool. And so like, that was something I really cared about. Tried to bring it over to the cannabis, almost got there, couldn't make it happen. 
Um, and then afterwards, I was working with a group called Kind Colorado, um, and they are one of the only um, cannabis-specific corporate social responsibility consultancy groups that exist. And so they help companies build corporate social responsibility strategies that are specific to the cannabis industry, wow. which is different a little bit than just general corporate social responsibility. Other factors, some nonprofits don't take cannabis money, for instance, you know, so you have to kind of like navigate it a little differently. Um, and, uh, and so then whenever I interviewed at the, at confident cannabis, uh, in my interview, I told them how much this matters to me and that I wanted to make sure that we could build a corporate social responsibility strategy there. Um, and the belief system was already there. The owner, Steve and Tony responded really well to that. And you know, that one points for me, but also gave me an opportunity to then start to build that here. So we're in the process of building that, that strategy now and have been able to do some good in the meantime, but either way, yes. Long-winded way of saying yes, that really matters. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's something I'm going to try to do each and every place that I go because I know that, like, you know, it, it, like, it scratches all my moral righteousness yeah, needs, yeah. right? But at the same time, like, it's actually good business. And I think that there's, like, this really great case that you can make to capitalists that this actually results in better output, better productivity, and better profitability. And if you can really show that to them, then you can get all the big evil money to actually, like, do good despite themselves. Like, that would be a cool outcome. I mean, it's idealistic, of course, but... You yeah, know. but if you're putting it into practice, it at least helps move... You can at least set an yeah, example. Can, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, That's the idea. It. Damn. Damn, yo. That's wow. the idea. I know why you chose Jesus. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I, I, I would definitely say that's the first time in my entire life anyone's ever accused me of having uh, any sort of like uh, uh, preaching to Jesus moment. So, <laughs> or preaching the word of Jesus moment, rather. Just be a good person. Right? I mean, that's the idea. It doesn't matter what religion you follow. It doesn't matter if you don't follow religion. You don't need to follow religion to be a good person. When you look at uh, a business that you're going to start becoming a part of and you're checking all those boxes for yourself morally, at, at what point... Are you also like, yo, money is pretty tight. Mm. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like they're like Where's it's the a real thing. Point, right? Where's the sellout point? Yeah. Because it's a real thing that is a uh, that I mean, I'm okay with selling out. I'm gonna be honest. Certainly. You know, for the right reasons, yeah, I'll lean in. So there's a couple things to this uh concept and some of the things are the things you tell yourself and then some of the things are the actual reality of it, right? Um I would often uh for for applying the right things, like if you're trying to work on for instance, corporate social responsibility strategy at a company, and you know that company has blood money that they're giving you to, to do that, right? Like, if you can convert it into good, then take the blood money, right? Because at least it's not continuing to do bad. Um, some people call that selling out or compromising. I think that's actually applying exactly what you're trying to do in impact and change, right? So um, <laughs> if you're literally just trying to survive and just trying to make it, I mean, there, there have certainly been clients I took on whenever we were running our agency back in Austin that didn't fit the mold of any of that social justice stuff. Right. Um, I worked with a, um, uh, an oil and gas company that I was like training their team on social media and, uh, teaching them about YouTube and video content and how they can like, you know, um, you know, show videos of their company culture and like, I don't know, just trying to get them to do something cool or good. Sure. And the CEO who was sitting in on this meeting, cause of course, uh, was some, you know, uh, redneck fucking, you know, typical Texan male. And the whole table was full of female employees of his. And he's like, so let me ask you a question. Can I make a video where I get some women and some bikinis uh and some big old tatas standing on a oil platform uh and then just spread that out and that'll go viral and that that that'll get me all the views and that'll be good right and i was like 
oh, oh Jesus, oh, well, how do I even address yo. this? Right? Yeah. Like, no, that's probably not going to work for you because it, are you trying to basically say to millions of people out there that you're, uh, you know, uh, uh, insensitive to like the, the, the things that you're trying to portray here? Do you not see like the sexism of, of, of putting women in bikinis on a platform working for your company? Like, what does that say about your actual oil platform and your oil technology to have women in bikinis out there? Like, is that actually getting your message out there? Is that differentiating you? Like, what would be the oh, purpose Brad, of that? Shut, Brad, shut the fuck up. I know, Brad. Brad, <laughs> Brad, Brad. I, I just want to see it because I'm rich and I don't fucking care. Right. Right? And I yes. objectify women. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And fucking hell, man. And, and you know, like, so, right, in that moment, like, you have sort of a choice, I guess. Do you express super moral outrage and storm out and kick them out of the room and be like, sorry, I'm not taking your fucking money. I'm going to give you a refund. Get out of here. Or do you realize that you're, you know, like just coming out of bankruptcy and you have to pay your fucking house note, which was where I was at at the time, and you just swallow it and, you know, try to hope to make an impact and, you know, fucking empathize with the people at the table that you really, really, really feel sorry that they have to work with this fucking asshole every day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, there's a point where you can shame yourself for these types of things. And then there's a point where you can just learn from them and grow and try to like make better choices in the future. I think we're all just trying to do the best we can. And, um, you know, if I can make an impact moving forward and, uh, do that at a place where I can take investor dollars and, and help make an impact and also turn a profit for them, then like maybe I can help undo some of that where I probably took it a little bit where I shouldn't have, you know what I mean? You're making me think about so many things. One of them is sexism in the cannabis industry. Oh, yeah. The other that I was just thinking about is like problematic people launching brands in the cannabis space. Uh People like Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, exactly. Or Charlie Sheen, who I actually interviewed. Oh, my gosh. And that was a really weird choice to have to make because when it was offered to me, I was like, whoa, huge A-list. I grew up with Charlie Sheen. Right. It's like a a fucking heartthrob. Yeah, men at work. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a good movie. Yes. (laughs) I hear you. But then, of course, years later, you know, I, I was... It was like, wow, me sitting down with Charlie Sheen means that I'm going to give him an opportunity to possibly uh, whitewash his, right. his past card. So it was like a, a, it was a bit of a moral quandary. Mm-hmm. I opted to do it and ask him the hard questions, yep. and he answered them. Hey. And so I felt good about the good outcome yeah. because it was like a, it wasn't it wasn't just a softball interview, but like you know, for someone like Mike Tyson or you know, it's just like these problematic people entering the cannabis industry. The the two sides of it are you know one is like well that you know he's done his time and yeah. he's paid his due to society and of course he has a right to rehabilitate his image and profit off pot you know just like yeah. anyone else and then the other side is he's a convicted rapist and you shouldn't buy what he's selling right yeah uh, this is a divisive conversation Very. amongst all of my friends in the industry yeah uh, I see it happen on Facebook is sort of and Instagram are like the court of public opinion when it comes to the cannabis industry we use it like LinkedIn yeah. is used in other industries and uh, and and this debate rages there um, there are certain people that I highly respect like Elise McDonough who like will not accept that he is a part of the industry and then there are people who uh, know Mike uh, relatively well and they're like dude you've got to sit down and talk with him I, I don't know if I could. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, I'm not happy about him being here. Like, uh, I don't think that um, unless you're making some actual change and impact to undo the ills that you've done, I don't think you learn from your mistakes. Yeah. Right? Like, I think that's that's a big part of it is that I'm not hearing him address any of his past behavior as right. he's launching this brand or taking any of the profits from his money to, say, donate to a rape survivor that's right. nonprofit. Yeah. I mean, I would actually get behind that, right? Like, I, I know what it means to hold yourself 
myself accountable, yeah. right? But when I hold myself accountable, it, it's it's me actually coming like not just directly to somebody with here's what I did wrong and I'm very sorry, but like here's what I can do to try to make that better, right? Like that's what accountability looks like. I haven't felt that there, and it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a fucking hard it thing fucking to do. Sucks. It does suck. That's why most people don't do it. I'll tell you a crazy story. And this is, you know, me holding myself accountable publicly, but I think this is a good story to learn from. Uh, a, a long time ago, like uh, 2007, maybe I was uh, a video freelancer while also running a production company in Austin. And I worked for a real estate agency, uh, Keller Williams, the, the major uh, sure. uh, headquarters there. I was doing a project with them. Um, and, uh, um, the, I was in a, a hotel room with, uh, like the crew, we were doing like these weird sort of like, uh, role playing quote unquote, where you get like a, a real estate agent and a buyer at a table. And like, we would do the, shoot these interviews, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and we were at a point where we had no one to, to, we, we were waiting for agents to show up. And so it was like a lull of like two hours and we we're just sitting around, like trying to like keep ourselves busy in this hotel room. One of the actors we had there was sleeping on the couch. Um, there was, uh, another, uh, video professional there with me. Um, and, uh, she was a lesbian and then there was myself. And the only reason I bring that up was because we were talking about the woman who hired us. We were talking about whether or not we thought she was a lesbian or straight because she just had a lot of those different types of signals that gave off totally unprofessional, totally, uh, not a conversation that was appropriate for us to be having even out of a professional environment. Like it's just, you know, you know, there's no purpose of us even trying to have that conversation. Yeah, like, you're what investigating we... the unknown and you're not going to know. And, and also like, okay, so we arrive at that point. Why are we even investigating that? Like, obviously, you know, yeah. it, it was, it was tone deaf and wrong in a lot of different ways, but it was just a benign conversation happened and ended and I went home. Uh, turns out the guy who was sleeping on the, on the couch is the boyfriend of the woman who hired us whom we were talking about. And we didn't know this. Uh, and when I got home, my roommate who worked with the woman that we were talking about comes home and he's like, dude, you fucked up hard. And I was like, what'd I do? And he's like, did you really have a conversation about whether you thought she was, was gay on set w with one of the other, you know, uh, video professionals? Like, why would you do that? And I was like, holy shit. How do you know that that happened? Like, what the fuck? And he's like, the guy's sleeping. Anyway, I uh, walked into the office the next day and I sat down in front of her and I closed the door and I was just like. I, I'm mortified that I had that conversation on set. It was inappropriate. It was wrong. Um, I'm very, very, very sorry. Um, I totally understand if you don't want to, you know, work with me any further. But if there's anything that I can do to make this better, you know what I mean? It's fucking hard. Like, you know, verge of tears kind of stuff. And she was so awesome and gracious about it because I think she really felt it. Right. But that's the point. Like, you can feel it when someone's holding themselves accountable and your, like really is authentic about it. Yeah. Your butthole is tight. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, like, yeah. if there's like no air in the room. There's no air. Yeah. It's it, 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 the gravity changes and and you know it. You also know it when, when people are inauthentically, quote unquote, holding themselves accountable. And getting oh, back to this point about sexism so in the industry, um, it, it's bad. And, 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 and bad actors coming into the space is bad. I mean, uh, recently, uh, Jake Brown, one of my friends in the industry runs the grow off, uh, has been justly calling out Tommy Chong because on his social media, he's unbelievably misogynist and grotesque with the the type of content he's throwing out there which by the way is unattributed someone else's content like he's ripping off uh, well his social media team is ripping off other people's work and not attributing it and so there's like all these different problems that exist that kind of and they sell those spots yeah i mean yeah, they're, they're doing that no for doubt. money right yeah. 
Yeah. I liked. I think if we're talking about the same person, because I can't, I couldn't remember his name. But the way he approached it was also being like, "Tommy, you may or may not know about this. That's right. But this is what's going on. Yeah. Like he laid it out in a very diplomatic, factual. Exactly. Way. It wasn't like you know, fuck Tommy Chong, everybody boycott Tommy. Yeah, exactly. There's a reactionary address to it, or there's like, hey, we want to hold you accountable. We are giving you now an opportunity to hold yourself accountable. Please yeah. fix the situation. Hey, take a look at this and maybe have some conversation, conversations with some women in the space or some exactly. other content creators who are not doing it quite in this way. Exactly. Maybe a newer, better way. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the whole point, again, that everyone in the industry loves to give lip service to is that we can do it right this time. So like, okay, right. well then fucking do it right. You know what I mean? But we, I feel like we were doing it right and now we're backsliding. Like, mm. do you know Amy Margolis? Yeah. And, you know, so like in 2014, I think when, you know, everything was sort of like the legalization was just taking hold and like all of the fears that were coming in, I think it was 2014 that she was saying that she saw, you know, more female entrepreneurs in the cannabis space than anyone had expected. Like they were the majority. Right. And now that number has slipped because the VC and hedge fund and investor people want to fund men. Yeah. And so women just aren't finding. So the same thing is taking hold in this industry. So now it's the time to really fight against that tide. It's totally true. And especially where Amy's based in, in Oregon. Oregon's one main defining characteristic, other than the fact that they just had high, you know, heavy regulations, was that it had uh, gender almost full parity, uh, gender parity amongst uh, business owners in the cannabis space. And then that like slipped, I think, uh, a year or two later to like thirty five percent. And I think it's yeah, it's backsliding now. Um, it, This is like, you know, uh, this is weird coming from a a company that has two male owners and, you know, uh, a male executive team to start to say, like, we're trying to do everything we can to make this a better thing, including within our own company. Um, It's uh, we we are trying to do everything we can to support initiatives like uh, like, well, like the initiative that Amy runs, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and and uh, Tokativity is another uh, organization that we uh, really, really enjoy. Um, We haven't been able to get behind them yet, but we will like with organizations organizations like theirs the idea that we need to have more women in the industry is not just like something that we could say because it's nice and that we should do just because it feels good and we should include everybody it's like dude we're missing so much perspective at all of these companies in terms of the life experiences that women have and what they bring to the table that you learn through the hardships of having to navigate this world as a woman brings a set of things to the table. The same thing that uh, people of color bring to the table are are a set of experiences in this world that, you know, white males just don't have. And they problem solve in different ways as a result of these things. And they build certain characteristics that white men never have to build. They're held to uh, standards that are way higher than white men are generally ever held to and so as a result the work that you can get from having a more diverse team is uh is second to none but when you're a company that starts off as like you know just a bunch of uh, white guys running running a ship it you know it, it, it takes a little bit of time it's very difficult to kind of like continue to push for that mm-hmm. uh it, within your own walls so we have to do more than just what we do at our own company we have to like actually fund organizations that are helping do this and um and that's part of why we're doing our csr strategies but the, the, these are all problems that, like, you're right. If we don't fight and address these right now, like, the, the whole thing slips out. But to actually start something, like, you're a part of from the ground up. Yep. How the fuck does that work? Go yeah. to the initiative. Go to the initiative. The yeah, initiative is one woman, place to look, for you, sure. Yeah, apply to the initiative. And they also have um, Hustle Hard and Females to the Front, which are both yep. uh, retreats that you can go to. 
that uh, there's one coming up in Palm Springs, I think, that Amy was telling us about that I really want to go to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Do you think somebody that lives in Alabama can start a business, though, when it's Well, don't live in Alabama. Well, yeah, that's... <laughs> I don't, well, I know why I chose that, because it's sure. like on my fucking brain, but I don't like that I chose that. Yeah. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. I mean, look, I mean, even, even in Oklahoma, right? Like, if you're starting in Oklahoma, where licensees are starting to, to grow, like, you still can go attend these things in other markets and should. Uh, it's worth the investment, but, you know, yeah, it's nice to say it's worth the investment if you don't have the money like you're in a you're in a bit of a pickle but one of the first things to do I think is really network with people who are you know that you can learn from find a mentor if you can or like find a company that you really love and follow them closely and maybe try and get a meeting with one of them to you know I mean I know Mike you hate the phrase pick your brain but it is actually not a bad thing to do if you're like looking to get into an industry to try and sit down with someone who is doing what you want to do and buy them coffee the the cannabis industry is particularly open and sharing this is one of the things I think is really cool it's not like a closed knit kind of thing that they like kind of box you out until you're a cool kid Um, they're they're generally happy to share information because they all generally love what they're doing most of the time Um, so uh, so you know getting involved in those groups finding them online on Facebook Uh, if you're a woman there are a lot of different like women entrepreneur and cannabis groups and and Tokativity is just fun Tokativity is rad absolutely and you can just connect with great people on a great level um, that is you know kind of much more authentic than a networking event you know what I mean because networking is always sort of awkward but I mean it's a necessity Um, there's also uh, you know if you're a person of color there's these same types of groups that exist Um, sometimes there's even groups that exist like the initiative like in Oakland there's hood incubator uh, where you can uh, get involved in a cannabis industry and get you know mentorship and uh, sort of guidance to uh, resources but the very real problem that exists in both of these uh, uh, communities of business owners is that there's not a a steady stream of available funding right and um, that's starting to change Um, oh oh god her name is slipping out of my brain now but um, uh, Gaynell Rogers, uh, uh, who's uh, previously with Harborside, and um, I mean, she has a much bigger resume than I could possibly speak out in brevity. But either way, she started a fund that is specifically for women in cannabis businesses um, that will only fund women-owned businesses in cannabis. So those things, those resources are start, starting to develop. There's just not a whole lot of gravity or a whole lot of momentum behind them yet. And really, by that, I just mean steady stream of money. Mm. Which is crazy because... All you hear about is, like we did a past episode, the news came out that Denver's, like, they sold more through dispensaries that month than ever before. It was like $148 million through dispensaries. In March. In March. And it's like a month, which is really cool. And I think there's this perspective on the inside and the outside that everyone is just, like, flush with cash because it's like a Johnny Depp movie. Right. And, you know, and that's not the case at all. Growers in Oregon are going broke right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, th- I even had this thought that like the cannabis industry was pretty flush with cash, right? You know, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I could find any cool cannabis company. They're going to have a need for a CMO and the salary that goes with that, of course. Yeah. No, it was a lot harder to find a position in the space that had money. And, um, you know, the, the, the company I, I found a position with uh, happens to be, you know, like a Y Combinator invested uh, software company. So, like, they kind of have more traditional money behind them. Um, the round we just raised came from uh, our lead was Poseidon and their uh, cannabis fund specifically. So some of these funds do exist. Poseidon is owned by uh, Emily and Morgan Paxia. And Emily particularly is also a funder of the initiative. 
live in a, in a backer there. So uh, she's a person who is uh, going to also favor uh, women-owned companies in the space. There, there is something I just recently learned that I wanted to bring up uh, because we're talking about um, you know equity licensees and money getting behind them. Uh, I just learned that there, uh, and I'm actually a little ashamed to say I just learned this, but there was this really fascinating panel I saw at Digital Hollywood yesterday um, speaking specifically about this um, thing that seems to be occurring in states where uh, there is equity written into the regulations. Um, there's like a speed networking sort of scenario where the states are, are, are getting uh, investors to meet with um, equity licensee applicants to try to get them funding. And what's happening is it's becoming predatory. So basically, you've got predatory money trying to use a person of color or a woman uh, to uh, attain an equity licensee because they get granted licenses first um, and try to be first to market. But like basically, um, you know, not have that person have real any power within the organization. So it's like, wow, dark, That's right? parasitic. Yeah. Yeah. Real fucked up. And uh, Amanda Chicago Lewis was like on the panel and, and specifically lined out how this is occurring across a few of these different markets and that it is a real problem. So you have to also be careful because people are still trying to prey on people of color and women here, right? Like you, even when it comes to money coming to the table, like not all money is equal and you have to be a little careful about what their intentions are. Um, you know, uh, maybe being cognizant of that means you can, uh, negotiate for a better position in those types of deals, but you know, you gotta be leery of the money that even comes your way. Right. So like it's challenging to answer your question. It's fucked up and it's challenging. Yeah. yeah. That's word. So word. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally. You know, um, I, I wish I had a, a better answer for that. I really do. It, it's almost like in lieu of one, we need better answers. And I think a lot of people are trying to build towards that. So um, whether that will actually happen or not remains to be seen. Um, but there does seem to be a lot more willpower behind the industry still to do these things. Um, you know, it, it, it's about whether like, you know, big money comes in and swarms it out or not. Ben and Jerry's. I know you're listening to this. Hell yeah, Ben and Jerry's. Come on. Hey, fuck with us. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, and look, and that kind of like uh, allyship is occurring in other industries now, yeah, right? Yeah. So like that, that, I think that helps. Like we need that to continue to happen, right? Um, New York is so interesting to watch for the, from, from this particular perspective because their regulations uh, aren't being rolled out. Like the recreational isn't being rolled out because they haven't solved for this problem yet. But um, there's a, a, one, another really interesting conversation I saw around restorative justice is the idea that Oregon has too much weed and they're trying to get the ability to export to other states that they can make a unilateral agreement with um, so that they can solve their oversupply problem and get also world-class weed across the world. Um, New York is trying to solve for the problem of uh, so many people of color being victims of the war on drugs there. Those victims of the war on drugs, as Jesse Horton from the uh, Minority Cannabis Business Association uh, very succinctly pointed out were distributors and retailers, right? They weren't growing weed. They weren't manufacturing it. They were selling it on the streets and they were operating as the distribution and retail arm of the, of the supply chain. That that's where most of the victims of the war on drugs in New York are. Right. Mm -hmm. And they are therefore really good opportunities for entrepreneurship in retail and distribution amongst that population of people who unjustly went to prison. So if Oregon can export their weed and can form an agreement with New York where that weed is uh, going to New York so New York doesn't have to try to grow their own weed, which they're not apt to do. But Oregon's got great sun-grown weed They in California, ship it over to New York, um, and have all of those people who were victims of the war on drugs be able to set up actual retail and distribution companies so that they can get that weed into the hands of consumers. 
Like it's a perfect match of you oh, know yes, problem to solution. And uh, Jesse Horton's working on that. The, he started a group called the New Leaf Project in Portland, where a portion of cannabis taxes are coming out of the city of Portland to specifically help equity uh, licensees get a little bit of a boost, a little bit of a seed fund. Um, which is what's really missing in the in the in the equation is funding. So there's a way to get that funding there. There's a way it can arm restorative justice, and there's a way that you can pair some of these needs and other markets together and like solve these problems in a really impactful way. And people are talking about it. So, you know, maybe we we will push back enough that that you know needle starts to go in the other direction. That's exciting. I have some hope. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do too. I do. Looking at Canada, I mean, there are so many problems with the Canadian market right now. I mean, I have friends in most provinces across the country who are saying it's not ideal in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. But on so many levels, they're doing such great stuff. Totally, it should you know? be a, a like a stable national uh, yeah. market, right? Kind of like wine is here. Yeah, you know. Um, and, and and to the point I was just making a minute ago about some states shouldn't be growing weed, like. New York isn't where you would go buy a good Cabernet Sauvignon. You'd but get the that Finger Lakes region does actually have excellent no. wine. I'm so excited. No. I do need to point out there's a very good Riesling that comes from yeah. Finger Lakes. Did you see that Lakes. monocle glue? It's exactly right. right. Yeah. Yeah. No, no it, totally. It, I mean, if you great. like syrupy, sugary wine, sure, there's a lot of great wine. The Cayuga Lakes uh, Riesling is actually a very dry Riesling, and I would recommend it with any oysters or seafood. It's very good. Oh, such a New York. Yeah. No, no, but, I mean, yeah, of course, you want your organ Pinot Noir and you want your Oregon weed if you're living in New York and nobody in New York actually wants to grow it. I mean, the time for, you know, having that indoor hydro. Yeah. It's like, you know, if you can get outdoor, beautiful, sun-grown Oregon cannabis in your hands, then why not? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. There's an art to that that I understand. Like, indoor sort of can be done anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I I don't mean to be like diminutive to indoor because there's amazing indoor growers and there's shit indoor growers. So, like, there's definitely, you know, qualities that changes there. But, um, you know, I mean, uh, you you have the land and the sun and the water. I mean, in a, c- a certain way, I'm kind of like going off of Belushi here. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you have these things combining in these yeah. areas, and it's making uh, amazing, ideal cannabis, right? Like, let those regions do that, and let other regions be really good at retail. And and have the right to grow in a bucket in your closet, for sure, as well. Exactly, That's yeah. Important. We should be able to grow our own weed, for sure. I'm doing my own growing experiment in my uh, back patio right now. Nice. I've got three, but I grew from seed the three little saplings that are like a couple inches tall now. Oh, that's exciting. I'm super Congrats. proud of them. They're like my children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really bad at growing anything, and I've killed the easiest to grow plants out there. So I'm hoping that like maybe the environment will take care of themselves. Sorry. You nice. know what I mean? Because I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. You come out with some like amazing strain, though. Some super strain. That would be sick. Yeah. All yeah. Right? Bogus Kush. That's yeah. it's going to be. Nice. That's the sickest name in the world. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, we have barely talked about what you're doing now. Um, like we've we've covered everything yeah. up to today. Cool. Who, yeah. So what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. What? Tell us about confident cannabis. I mean, um, we're we're trying to build a, a, a better wholesale marketplace for for cannabis. We're trying to make it easy for cannabis businesses to buy and sell from each other, and uh, to understand the value of you know test results and chemistry in uh, product quality and how that how that helps people sell and, and buy things with confidence. So, um, you know, it's a business to business platform in cannabis. Um, we are launching it across the nation in multiple markets this year. So. Like I'm working on preparing for that right now uh, and making 
making sure that we're getting to know what's going on in all those markets and like learning about the cannabis, um, the lives of the cannabis operators there. Like what, what are the things you're facing? What are your problems? What are your, uh, what's working for you, you know, and, uh, try to get a, a sense of what they're doing. I, I really love learning from cannabis operators. It, it feeds like the storyteller in me, you know? Yeah. Um, I like hearing their stories. They're, they're almost all of them completely unique and super interesting. And everyone comes from such fascinating backgrounds. Like you don't find that many just legacy cannabis operators who have been doing it because their grandparents did it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, um, and, and yet like they all have these really varied backgrounds. So, uh, I, that's the part I really like doing the most. This is amazing. We got to wrap this baby up. Indeed. Okay. Yeah. 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 Last, last words of wisdom. I feel like you dropped a lot of gems today. Oh, really? Yeah. You and Mel. Yeah. Well, they all come from Mel, right? <laughs> For real. Um, last words of wisdom. You know, like, uh, not to be like cliche about the whole follow your heart thing, because I'm not going to say that, but I will say like related to the whole follow your heart thing is like, don't listen to people when they tell you you can't fucking do something like fuck everybody's advice on what you should do with your life and your body. Like it should be fully autonomous. You decide what to do and just like, you know, use instincts. I don't know. Like it's like the best way I can deconstruct things that have happened in my life. Right. Like I did not have a master plan. I had no idea what I was doing one moment to the next. I went from theater acting to fucking running a a video production company to now being in the cannabis space. I'm just kind of going with it as I go with it. And anyone's lying to you if they tell you they know what they're doing one moment to the next. And just like own it and be cool with that because like literally every CEO on the planet doesn't know what they're doing and they're afraid everyone's going to know they're a fraud. And I think that's not just CEOs. I think everybody's afraid of being a fraud. Imposter syndrome. Totally. I think we almost all have it unless you're a sociopath and you think way too highly of yourself, right? And uh, to a certain extent, you're compensating for something. Still the same problem, right? Like fuck that problem. Turn that shit off. Damn nice. right. Ooh, trust yourself? Yeah. yeah. Yo. <laughs> Fuck the haters. Yeah, no, no doubt. <laughs> uh, you got some uh, juicy plugs, either for Instagram, for Facebook, Where for can people, website. Yeah, and your podcast. And Where, your podcast. Yeah, yeah so uh, uh, just full disclosure, I'm not like still hosting Nerd AF. Uh, we're, we're working on a way that we can do supplemental video content from me on the West Coast, but the, the other hosts are still running Nerd AF. So definitely check Nerd AF uh, show out. It's awesome. It's one of my favorite things I've ever worked on. Because like we're talking about nerd stuff, but it's like how does nerd stuff actually impact culture in a broader way, specifically when it comes to issues of representation in comic books for people of color and for women and like social justice issues that are coming out of Disney and all these cool things. Anyway, sorry, I'm ranting again. (laughs) (laughs) Nerd AF. Yeah, check out Nerd AF show. Uh, If you want to follow my travails, I generally post some of them to Instagram, uh, just Brad Bogus, all one word. Uh, And on Twitter, I'm Force Ghost Brad, kind of like the Star Wars Jedis. Tight. Because I disappeared from the show. It was like a joke from the show, from Nerd AF show. But yeah, now, the, now I'm a forced ghost host. <laughs> <laughs> like so many people who listen to this just cummed in their pants, dude. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Maybe it was my silky voice. Yeah, that was it. Weed at gmail.com if you want to drop us a line about anything. Ask us some questions. Send me a hot whisk pic. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Also, to those of you who have been DMing us a bunch of questions, hopefully some of them kind of got cleared up today. We get a lot of questions that you... We're very helpful with. Oh, great. So hopefully people are going to respond in the way that they should and go follow their fucking hearts. Sweet. Follow your fucking heart. Thanks, man. I can't wait to have you back. Mary Jane, is that okay? Yeah. (laughs) I love that. You're two of my favorite podcast hosts in cannabis for show. Yahoo. Hell yeah. All right. I'm not good at wrapping this up. Peace. Okay. Bye. (laughs)